I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome. Or should I say welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. I'm Ed Malian, and this is uh, a rare Tuesday edition. Uh, we had a, a couple of issues yesterday with uh, scheduling and, and technical issues, which meant there's a delay of the podcast. However, we soldier on through, and uh, with half the team uh, out and about, we had uh, people in, in Newcastle this weekend, we've got people in, in Italy, uh, as far afield as Liverpool, um, Merseyside. Um, we've got people all over the place, and so with me today is our man around town in London, Luke Brown. Hello. Hello, you were in Newcastle. Sunny year. Newcastle. First time That's you've right. ever been? Yeah, it was really nice to see. Got absolutely Jeremy Corbyn on the way up because didn't get a seat. Uh, £90, three hours, how, stood outside the toilet. I mean, three hours to get all the way to Newcastle from London, I think, is actually pretty good. Yeah, However... No, no, you stood up, it feels like six. No, of course. Right. But what I would say is um, the thing about Newcastle is at least you're it's all in the kind of city centre like it's good to have a stadium that is that close yeah you can literally you literally see it as you leave the stadium yeah yeah no I think it's good and especially on match day that creates like a great sort of atmosphere it's a bit like Cardiff a bit like that you know a city where the stadium is yeah is central there are so many of these grounds and particularly in the championship where you've got these out of town sort of Meccano looking bowls, bowls yeah, yeah soulless bowls um, so for that it is very good and obviously when Newcastle are at home it's as big a day as it gets in in town so what do yep. you think? It was good the atmosphere before the game was really really good um, there was loads of stuff going on there was like more well actually the first anti-Ashley protest of the season outside the ground and stuff I feel like they're permanently on an anti-Ashley yeah, protest because I think they kind of he, drove it up again he's that unpopular you know and, and as soon as the results go badly which which they have been as, as we can touch on in a second as soon as the results are going poorly you know, it's going to come out again because the whole anger is not just obviously the way he's treated the club and treated the fans and, and the disconnect and all that sort of stuff, but it's the lack of investment. And and if they go down, it's going to be because of a lack of investment. They, you know, they've got a great coach. They they have had some good players. And even when they got relegated last time, do you remember you wrote that letter about, you know, oh, I'll invest, I'll get us yeah, back yeah, to where yeah. we should be. And it feels like we're just back at the start. Rafa's kind of been hinting at that, basically, hasn't he? One thing about St. James's Park as well is that, like, the atmosphere at the start was incredible because, obviously, it's a big, big stadium and noise kind of reverberates around really nicely. But you do, when they start playing badly, you can, like, it, it gets so quiet. The second half was so dead. So, obviously, it's, like, it's a blessing and a curse. And when Arsenal scored those early couple of goals, it was, like, just killed the game, really. Yeah, I, I do think that there is... Um there is a worry, it, you know, if things do go really badly in Newcastle, I think at the moment only Burnley below them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they yeah, they are going to be a difficult thing. The, the biggest fear surely has to be if someone else decides to come knocking for Rafa, because there are teams who have, who have inquired into Rafa's availability before and, and found that basically he wasn't happy, but he wasn't willing to, to pull the lever. But if he pulls the ripcord and, you know, the emergency exit seat, he's gone. Then where did Newcastle go? Like, who do they hire? Are they going to stay up? 
Yeah. Do you, do you think their squad's good enough that they could withstand? Because they came, what, they came 11th last season. They did, they did phenomenally good. well last year with a squad that I thought, I think if you looked at the, the personnel, looked upper championship, lower premiership, mm. which is kind of, I guess, where they are. Um, but Rafa propels them to, to higher positions in the table. You know, they they do obviously have some major structural issues and I just don't think you can continue for long periods with that going on. You know, it's just not healthy for anyone. However, it was a good result for Arsenal. Yeah, it was Arsenal. It was, it was actually a really good result for Arsenal. It's probably the best they've played this season. And if it wasn't for that late goal at the end, um, you could tell Emery was really annoyed about that. When he came out for his press, the first thing he spoke about was moaning about that goal rather than kind of dwelling on, on the good stuff. They're just such a lopsided team. Again, it was one of those performances where you didn't learn a hell of a lot because, you know, Arsenal can attack. We already knew that. And they don't defend exceptionally well. Um, one kind of positive, Socrates looked really yeah. good. Um, and he has made a bit of a kind of sloppy start. Um, That's the area they really need to improve. You know, Unai Emery, who's, who's considered, I guess, more of a, not necessarily conservative, perhaps reactive manager, uh, you kind of would would hope that his defence would be really good and uh, I think it's a personnel issue I think they just haven't got the right guys there you know Shkodran Mustafi is very much a Wenger centre-back and also very bad uh, maybe bad the two aren't maybe, maybe the two mean the same thing possibly um, but it, it's just a slight worry for me I, I think he's been quite Emery's been quite attacking though isn't he because I, I kind of thought he would be more defensive he's vertical yeah Monreal and Bellerin kind of fire up and down the wings and then you've got He's been playing Xhaka and Guendouzi, who aren't really that defensive-minded. So he, they've been quite open at the back. It's not like he's been kind of, you know, packing the back. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting to have you here, I guess, because, you know, this is your first season kind of covering Arsenal as a club uh, properly. You know, not that you've never been to Arsenal before or watched them play before, but you've done a lot of Arsenal this year. Um, so you, more than most people in this building, are going to be better positioned to talk about what Emery's done and what he hasn't done. So, so far, I know it's very early. We've only just gone through, what, the first month of the season. You know, how do you think he's doing? I think he's doing, he's doing pretty well. Um, obviously, so there's been so much heat on the whole, like, oh, Peter Cech can't play the ball out from the back and, you know, they're kind of, they, can't, they can't build up play. <sighs> they, they've kind of been doing all right with the first phase. They've been, like, moving the ball around the back reasonably well. Obviously, Cech's made, like, you know, he's played the ball out for a couple of corners and stupid stuff like that. But he hasn't given a goal away like Alisson or anything like that. So, but the problem is more the kind of second phase and then getting it through the midfield. And that's where, almost like his trump card, is the fact that he's got Torreira sat on the bench, who has come on in all the games, who was like outstanding when he came on. He doesn't want to use his joker in the pack quite yet. That's the feeling I get. I, sp- I suppose the same for like the goalkeeper situation as well. Like, and, and there is an argument that if he throws those players in and then like they get slaughtered against City and Chelsea at the start of the season, you've just decimated their confidence. So I don't think it's like a bad tactic. But I think that now Torreira has just shown he's so good that he can't carry on leaving him on the bench. And he like we've all been led to believe he is going to start on Thursday night against Forskler. So I guess that's a good opportunity for him to kind of like show that, A, he's got the fitness. Because there were some questions he came back from international duty without um, like top-level fitness. So he can prove that, you know, A, he's got the fitness and B, that he's kind of good enough to just be starting games regularly. Yeah, so uh, they've got enough firepower and attack that you'd, you'd hope they'd be okay it yeah, is and Ober and Lacazette look pretty good together it, it's all about securing the back end um, yeah. which is you know Do you, have you seen enough to kind of have an opinion on whether 
Aubameyang should be playing out wide because obviously it means you can include Lacazette and it means it that you know you can kind of transition into that nice two man attack. But but he's a really good striker and he's kind of stuck out on the wing. Yeah, I, I mean I, I'd probably try and play him as a as a split pair. You know, like it's funny how how cyclical football tactics are and, and stuff. You know, like every, there were kind of fans like ten years ago, fifteen years ago, screaming like, "Why are we still playing four four two? We're so backwards." And Jose Mourinho's come in at Chelsea in two thousand and four, and they're playing four three three four five one. They're, they're dominating the midfield and they're and they're beating teams. And then you know the four two three one was immensely popular for a few years. Remember, like literally every team played it. Yeah. And, and there is something I think we discussed it on last week. Was it last week's podcast, or I discussed it with, with Jack Pitbrook and Johnny before? Players who were lucky because of the era they played in perfectly suited them. And we're saying about Wesley Schneider as he retired, playing as a number ten. That four two three one perfect for him, perfect for him. But if he'd been born in another era, the four four two, like what he's stuck on the wing, yeah. or he's not playing centre mid. Is he playing up front? Like where where does he go? We're kind of coming back round to this four-four-two-ish thing a lot of the time because it still is fundamentally one of the best ways to spread your amount of players evenly throughout the pitch in the areas that it matters, right? And that's what it is. A formation is fundamentally just covering the the pitch with your players. The four-four-two with the guy that drops in deep and kind of the more traditional striker, like Spurs have kind of got it going on with Kane and Lucas Moore a little bit. Yeah. And you know, Palace do it with Zaha. Zaha's not a centre forward, but he plays as part of a front two where Benteke is more static. And Zaha kind of might be on the right, might be on the left, might be dropping into like a number ten role. Why couldn't Lacazette and Aubameyang play in a sort of toing and throwing, like almost like a like a pivoting strike pair? Yeah, I guess it just becomes difficult, doesn't it? Because it's like where do you cram in Özil and Ramsey, or like two players you kind of have to start. Özil's uh, a really interesting one, actually. That's maybe one kind of area of significant worry for Arsenal fans in how Emery's dealing with him. Because mm-hmm. Emery's been like, he had one little kind of nibble at him in a presser where he kind of made a comment about, how oh, you know, Ozil will play where I kind of need him to play, blah, blah, blah. You know, I need him to play in different positions. But generally, he's been really, really complimentary and he's been constantly banging on about, how you know, the big Arsenal family looking after Ozil, blah, blah, blah. But he's use him on the right a lot with Ramsey down the middle and obviously an Emery team is going to press a lot and they're going to be really disciplined and they're going to chase after balls and they're not going to kind of carry around like this maverick um, number 10 style player and if they did he would be playing number 10 so he would be Ramsey so Ozil's being forced to work really hard and hasn't looked that great I wouldn't say not you know not the Ozil we know you know how he can play and it then causes problems for Bellerin because if Bellerin gets the ball right back storms up up the field Ozil isn't ahead of him and he kind of just has to like knock it back to Mustafi. Yeah, I mean, they are a work in progress. I think that's fair to say. They, it, it's become clear, very clear, you know, the, the worry about Chelsea this season was Maurizio Sarri, first season in Italy, first season in England, sorry, uh, first season ever coaching outside Italy. How would they do? And actually, they've hit the ground running you know, I think they've been a little bit suspect at the back, but fundamentally... They're going to get turned over, aren't they? Yeah, at some point, but but... The results are there so far, yeah. and they're going to get better. You know, you have to assume that they're going to get better as they get more used to things and everyone gets more used to each other. But they've dealt well with what was a major and pretty late hire, you know, and a pretty big change from what they've been used to. And again, it was another one of those Chelsea seasons where it really tailed off uh, towards the end on the Conte. So um, they're interesting for me because they're very different, really, to, to how the Arsenal thing has, has turned out where... Emery obviously is kind of a bit of a... It's more of a slow burn, I guess, the improvement at Arsenal. 
Um, but I guess, you know, it'll be interesting for you to, to follow that all season. The, the biggest game of this weekend was probably Tottenham-Liverpool. Yeah, so um, obviously Liverpool look really, really good um, and they've started the season really well. But I think the story from that game more is kind of Spurs are suddenly having this like mini crisis, basically. Um, is it a crisis though? Well, it is in the sense of they've never lost three games under Pochettino. And tonight they play Inter Milan at the San Siro with Alderweireld mm-hmm. and Trippier left at home and Kane half fit. And suddenly, you know, they could do that. And I think that's kind of, you know, that's worthy. It's, it's a worthy point. Um, I, you know, I, I guess there is a fear. Maybe they've just slightly hit a wall. Um, whether that's because they didn't sign anyone in the summer. Maybe that's because, you know, they had so many players do well at the World Cup, which has just ended up really kind of hurting them. It's a combination. I mean, it's a combination of all of it, and also teams like Liverpool. While Spurs have grown steadily and and consistently, but but kind of slowly, Liverpool have forensically found problems in their team, gone out and spent big money to fix them. Yeah. So it makes you take a big leap. You do, know. Do you think that Poch has kind of arrived at this point? So you know, like the whole Mourinho like three year thing. Um, where everyone's like, oh, you know, he he struggles in his third year. He struggles to kind of get his message across. Do you think that Poch has now got so much of a harder job because he's he's been dealing with this, this particular group of players for ages, and so there's not that much more he can teach them. Whereas at least with Klopp, you know, he might have, mm. he's coming up to a he's been at Liverpool for a while, but he's got all these new players. He can kind of constantly like re-energize. There are ways squad. to keep it fresh. You know, we saw it at Ferguson. We saw it. We've seen it with lots of coaches. I think. Um, it's obviously an issue that they didn't buy anyone. Uh, like that, that's yeah. no, no, no coach is ever going to be happy with that. And he, like, he's a he's a very demanding coach. Like, there is some off field stuff. Johnny Johnny's preview of of the game, uh, you know, talks about it. You know, it's all these underlying things like the stadium, which just isn't quite. You know, it's not like a bad thing that's going to destroy the team, but it's just like a it's another mild annoyance. It's another thing that chips away. Yeah. And the general kind of and and the, you know the, some of the players just look weary. They just look like fatigued. Um, I'm not sure if Harry Kane's fully fit. So there is a little bit of that, but I, I don't have long term concerns about Spurs. I think they're going to be in that group with Chelsea, Man United. That are basically there's three of them fighting out for two Champions League spots. Arsenal might be a little bit further behind, but that's how I saw it at the start of the season and kind of shaping up that way. I think Chelsea will come back to the pack a little. I think United will continue to be there and thereabouts, and I think Spurs might be up and down but as long as they can finish in the Champions League spots that's what matters you know they've had nine seasons in a row in Europe now three in the Champions League in a row that's significant so they've got to just make sure they stay in there because there's With the always new stadium as well there's, mo- yeah, there's movement within the top six um, if you can't see I'm kind of waving my hand around in a flowy manner there's movement within the top six teams go up teams go down but as long as you're staying in the Champions League that's the real financial kind of ring fence that you want to be and especially so if you have a new stadium um, I don't want to go too long in the Premier League just because I think we should be talking about the Champions League and, and not even necessarily that much about this week's games. Just the season as a whole. Um, it gets underway tonight. And uh, I guess first, actually, w- what we should do is talk to the guys who are out in Milan for Tottenham Inter. So that's Johnny and Jack. Uh, so we'll bring them in here and then we'll uh, take up the rest of the tournament afterwards. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back. Uh, I'm Jan Pitbrook. I'm your temporary host for this segment, joined by Jonathan Liu. Say hello, Jonathan. Uh, hello. And we are both in Milan. Uh, in true James Richardson style, we are sat in a cafe uh, by our hotel. It's Monday afternoon, and we're, or I am, about to go to. Hi. Uh, sorry about that. Well, I am about to go to the press conference to see Mauricio Pochettino and Christian Eriksen talk ahead of tomorrow night's game. Um, it's obviously quite a big one for Spurs after losing two games on the trot both in quite disappointing circumstances and if they lose three in a row it would be the first time that they've done so since the nadir of the tactics tim era uh, in march 2014 johnny just just how big of a test is this for tottenham hotspur uh i think it's probably a test they didn't really want to have right now obviously it's uh they haven't quite sorted out all of the issues that are hanging over from the summer and now they're sort of thrown into a champions league campaign they're not in great form a lot of their players aren't in great form uh, and there's a lot of pressure on them. What do you what What do you think has gone wrong so far this year? Well, weirdly, they, they started the season quite well. Was it three three wins on the bounce? Uh, without ever really playing that well, uh, the Manchester United win papered over a lot of cracks, um, and the Watford game and the Liverpool game especially show that up. That they are not really producing anything for midfield that's, that's, that's the main problem I mean, whether, whether, whether this is a hangover of not refreshing the squad in the summer whether it's a slight hangover from all the stadium shenanigans it's just it's not a, it's, it's a club that's, that's not quite functioning as it should a club and a team that's not quite functioning as it should and that's, that's not exactly the, the sort of state you want to go into your first big European game of the season yeah it's weird I can't remember the last time that Tottenham were, and Pochettino were on the defensive like they are at the moment I mean the, the two defeats in a row I, I, they felt they felt like they felt like they've really hin- they felt like they felt like they've been caused by kind of slightly deeper deeper than normal problems at the club. Pochettino was so angry with their attitude in that Watford game, and then after the um, after the Liverpool game, he wasn't as critical. But Kane was incredibly critical of the failure of the team to pass the ball properly. The number of times they gave Liverpool easy chances to break away even though they were playing this 4-4-2 diamond which meant they should have kept the ball better in fact they kept coughing it up and giving Liverpool giving Liverpool possession it's interesting because there are so many there are so many different things that you can point to for why they're playing badly whether it's Kane or sorry one second sorry there, there are so many short 
kind of immediate and long-term factors you can point to for why Tottenham are failing, which actually mean, means it harder to solve. I mean, you can you can look at Kane or the injury to Deli Ali, but or tiredness from the World Cup, or failure to sign anyone in the summer, or failure to move into a new stadium, or the kind of the fact that Pochettino has had to do something he's never done before and bring Rosen or Deweyrold back into the fold after trying to sell them this summer. So there's like, I mean, there are lots of different factors, but because of that, it makes it harder to find out what the solution is. I mean, it, I, I genuinely don't know what they need to do to start playing better. And I, the, I mean, the big question is whether Pochettino does. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this stuff that he's got on his plate is obviously not his doing. The stadium, uh, the signings and the, the lack of signings this summer, which I'm surprised that Daniel Levy hasn't taken more heat for. Um, but a lot of the stuff... If you look at some of the individual things that are coming out of of the club, uh, such as Hugo Lloris and the drink driving, uh, there was a, a little comment about Harry Winks the other day, I, I, which I'm surprised there wasn't more made of that, where he talked about the, the, the business side of football. Yeah, about... I think the, I was at the press conference, and he said that, as well as football, he needs to not, not pay too much attention to the business of football, he called yeah, it. That, and that, that's incredibly euphemistic. Thing uh, to say. So, if, if you look at these in individual things that are coming out of the side, uh, I suppose what you could say about, I suspect, might be happening is that for the first time, really since Pochettino has arrived in England, there, there, may, there seems to be a little bit of indiscipline creeping in. And whether that's because of uh, a comfort zone, uh, but footballistically and in, in you know in a, in a couple of ways off the pitch. There, there, are, there are just these little lapses creeping in that, that suggests that the, the rock-solid edifice that Pochettino has managed to create over the last few seasons, there, there's a, just a few little cracks appearing in that. And, and that's, a, that's something that we haven't really seen either at Southampton or at Tottenham. And, and that's a whole kind of different dimension of challenge for him. Yeah, it's, it's funny, isn't it? Like the longer, the longer he stays in this job, the, the, you think the harder, I mean, the harder it gets for any manager to, to maintain the same high, sta high standards in it. The high, kind of high standards off the pitch, the energy on the pitch, everything you associate with Pochettino teams. And certainly the Liverpool game, I, I've never seen a Spurs side in a big game at home play with as little energy as they did. I mean, I know he said that energy wasn't the problem afterwards. Grazie. We're ordering food, like proper sort of James Richardson style. We're in Milan. We're, we're, we're in Milan for the uh, Champions League game. It's, uh, I'm not going to do a James Richardson impression. We'll probably get libeled for one thing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, it's uh, they they they've not looked as as lethargic. I mean, certainly playing out from from defence, you know, the central defence would get the ball against Liverpool, and they just they didn't have a clue what to what to do with it. They would just they would tarry on the ball for seven or eight seconds, and that's just so anathema to to what Pochettino wants from us. What what how modern football really is is played at the highest level, where it's quick and it's it's vertical, and and Tottenham at their best have been doing that, but. They, they just don't seem to, to have managed to, to find a way to get it to click this season. Yeah, I mean, Johnny and I were talking about this on the bus earlier from the airport. Like, is the, I think we touched on this before. And let, when players like, Eric, particularly when someone like Ericsson isn't playing his best, it, they do look a bit like England. <laughs> <laughs> like they don't have, they've got a lot of players who are in the England team and they don't have that same kind of intelligence and, and creativity that you expect, expect from them. They can look a bit, I don't know, like uh, rudimentary, basic Spurs yeah. when they're not 
when they're not really on it. And it's this is the first time where I'm not. I mean, this sounds ludicrous after two after a run of, that's lasted for two games. This is the first time that I've started to think at the back of my mind, what if Pochettino has wrung everything he can out of these players, and by failing to buy more players in the summer, he has, or by not being able to buy more players in the summer, he has not been able to. There, there's kind of no freshness there. There's nothing new. There's nothing new in the mix. Well. I think we're a little. I think we're still a little way off that. I mean, Spurs fans certainly will have a, a, a good deal of faith in Poch. You know, he's one of the best coaches in the world. Yeah. So I, I think at, at for now, you you sort of back him to sort out whatever whatever he needs to the, the sorting out. And I, I think you, you you give him the benefit of the doubt slightly. If if this run continues, uh, if they continue to play at what what seems like a sort of 90 percent intensity. Uh, then obviously you have to ask wider questions. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast segment uh, on, on Wednesday morning after you know Tottenham's 2-0 win, then, uh, then then obviously feel free to skip right through this segment. Yeah, And then feel free to abuse us on Twitter. Yeah, yeah we, we, we love that. For having got a prediction wrong. We love that. Cool. Should, we, should, we, should we talk about Inter a little bit? Yeah, it's interesting for Inter because they, it's kind of like the longest come down in European football history. They've been shit ever since they won the Champions League in 2010. I think this is their first season back in the Champions League and I think they're only here because they, uh, they came fourth last year but just scraped past, it, scraped past Lazio on head-to-head. Um, it's, not a, I mean, it's not a squad full of talent. They're probably better off than they were but they've been trying and trying under the Chinese owners to get it right off the pitch they've got a good manager back in Spalletti there's not that much star quality of the team if we're honest no I mean they have they have decent uh, decent individual players we've, we've just been delivered a, a ham panini and a and a rice salad um, just in case you're, you're keeping score at home uh, they have you know they, they've got good individual players obviously uh, the Chinese owners have thrown a lot of money at the club in the last few seasons there was, there was some kind of vague talk of a bid for Luka Modric or so, you know, re- recently um, so the, the ambition is clearly there um, and you know Spalletti very very experienced at Champions League level and if Tottenham play like they, they did against Liverpool sending you know both full backs up uh, and, and really not looking secure at the back um, somebody like Icardi for example is is he playing? Is Icardi playing? Uh, yeah, I'd imagine so. Uh, somebody, you know, or, or Perisic. Is just going to have a, a, a lot of fun against that defence. Yeah, I agree. Well, the interesting thing, speaking to someone at Inter, I think the view is that if they can come third in this group, then they can win the Europa League. And that's kind of, They don't back themselves to get out of the group because it contains Tottenham and Barcelona, which shows what a difference from, say, 2010, where Tottenham are very much the underdogs coming here. So I don't think... Certainly the people here are not don't see Spurs as, as easy prey. No. And it might be one of those situations where maybe Spurs' reputation has improved to the point where teams do show them a bit more respect. But it is going to be a big test. And I think, particularly taken in combination with Brighton away on Saturday, you feel like this already feels like a crunch few days in their season. Uh, we can't wait. Uh, it, should be, it should be a great game if you've, if you've already seen it and uh, you're, you're listening to this on Wednesday morning after Inter Milan nil, Tottenham nil, then, then again, feel free to, to pour abuse at us. Uh, but for now, we're going to get stuck into our, our rice salads and panini and ham panini and um, Derci from Milan. Adios. Adios. Grazie mille to the guys. Uh, <laughs> ciao. Seamless. <laughs> yeah, seamless. absolutely seamless uh, and fluent in Italian. Um, so what are we looking at then? Spurs Inter, you know, as the guy said, it's an interesting game for a variety of reasons. Both clubs kind of in 
tough, tough sort of starts, really. Spalletti's had a, a difficult beginning to the season because they spent so much money. Potter's had a different, a difficult start to the season because they haven't spent any money. Um, but what do we expect the outlook is for Tottenham this year? They they took a big step forward last year in the Champions League with that win over Real Madrid, yep. which kind of you start to now think that they are considered by the rest of Europe as a, a significant European team. What is progress for them? What's, what's par? What's an overachievement for them this year in the Champions League? And what's an underachievement? Par's got to be getting out of the group, right? Because I so think... round of 16 is par. Going out yeah. of round of 16 would be par. Because I just... Uh, Bar- so Barcelona at this point of this season is such a different entity to Real Madrid mm-hmm. at you know that point last season because Real Madrid weren't playing especially well. Um, Barcelona have made a really, really good start. They're among the favourites to win. And plus, Real Madrid always do that thing, don't they, where they kind of really, really they come turn late. it on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think Spurs can really expect to beat Barcelona in the same way that they beat Real. Um, so, you know, getting past Inter and Ajax would be good. Um, so, yeah, but then but then obviously it like it makes it more difficult in terms of the more difficult round of 16 game, which is exactly what happened last year because they ended up you know, against Juventus, which was like a kind of cruel twist of fate, really, and then blew it in the last half an hour. As hard as it gets. Um, same question, but give me the same question for each of them. I, you know, Liverpool got to the final last year, but they've got a tough group, a very tough group. Um, I think Napoli are really going to be gunning for the Champions League this year. They've got Ancelotti as well, who's a, who's a very good manager at this level, and in knockout competitions especially, with Serie A probably going to be out of the question. Uh, who else is in the group PSG who they play tonight Neymar Mbappe Cavani etc 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 Thomas Tuchel makes them a lot more interesting for me um, and then they've got Red Star Belgrade Cravenas Vizda as I think they're supposed to be called and basically anyone who drops points in Belgrade I think seriously disadvantages themselves in terms of trying to get through but what's their par now with expectations readjusted from last season and a potential title challenge it's so tough, isn't it? Because almost like getting to the finals kind of screwed up what they would hope to achieve this year. Like, um, I don't know. What do you think? Quarterfinals, maybe? I would. I would. Napoli, I was going to say they're not going to win two games. I was going to say quarters. I mean, to get to the semi-finals two years in a row. Yeah. Suggests not only that you're very lucky because it does take luck to get through the Champions League. Let's be honest. But it suggests that there's a real kind of shift, and you are establishing yourself among those teams. It feels like there's more unequal groups this time around. Like the the, Lokomo- get worse, the locomotive yeah. Moscow group is yeah. so right, cool. but that's because Russia are the final league whose champion qualifies as a pot one team automatically. You know that's just unfortunately part of the UEFA setup, which uh, they did try and make it better so that it, there are more champions that kind of getting there rather than just loads of third and fourth place teams. Yeah. But yeah, then, I, don't, I don't hate the rule, but I do, it, it kind of skews the competition, doesn't it? Yeah, a little, a little. But uh, I'd say quarterfinals is, is perfect in terms of saying that's the par. Semi-finals is an overachievement. Round of 16 would be a, a bit of a disappointment. But there are obviously caveats if they get drawn against, say, Real Madrid in the round of 16. Um, Manchester City might be the most interesting one here. What's par for them? I mean, with the squad they've got and with the money they've invested and with the coach they have, what, semi semi-finals? I think you feel that's like I think, the least. They've yeah, done, no, it? I, th- I think semi-finals is the absolute least. They've been there before. That's the thing. They've been yeah. to the semis before. They've never been to the final. Um, it feels like this is the hump they have to get over. They've done everything else. Um, 
in terms of what else could they have done to advance the club? You know, they've created a network of clubs. They've created an incredible high-tech campus. Um, you know, they've successfully dodged all the questions about human rights. What about <laughs> the actual Champions League? You know, Pep Guardiola has not won it since 2012. Is that right? 2011, 2012? That's a long time for probably the best coach of a generation. And certainly the most influential coach of a generation, I think, even if you, you don't subscribe to the view that he's the best. And he, he should have won it. With buying, really, but they, but they had so they had bad fortune. You've got to think about the time when he was at Barca and, and they had to drive to Inter Milan of Jose Mourinho, <laughs> and and it was so narrow that whole thing, and, and they had to get a coach through the Alps because of the Icelandic ash cloud, things like that. That's just incredible bad fortune. That's not uh, winning mentality, though. no, <laughs> winning mentality. They just fly for <laughs> ash clouds. Uh, you know, you've got to really want it. That's that's how you show your desire. Just find a pilot who will fly you through something that's potentially cool. deadly. Um, to save a few hours on a coach. And I think there's also like that, that Bayern team, they were expected to win it and it was tough for him. And they got, I was, I was at the semi-final where they got knocked out by Atletico and that was just, it was on a knife edge. The entire thing's on a knife edge. So a couple of things have gone against Guardiola. He's completely proven himself in the Premier League. Remember there were, you know, a lot of the, um, I guess what, what the young people like yourself would call the gammon brigade were, you know, thought Guardiola had to prove himself in the Premier League. Uh, he hadn't proven himself with, with everything that he'd done. Um, he got 100 points last year in the Premier League. I think that bit's done. We can tick that. But it's this competition where he really has to make it. And it, it does feel kind of apocalyptic for them if they get knocked out in like the quarterfinals or so because it's yeah. such a huge disappointment because they, they are so good as a team. They've got a big head start, haven't they, with that group? Yes, the certainly that's going to help. So last year they had Napoli, and, and that was when Napoli were kind They've of... They've had a couple of tough groups in the last few really years. Well. Yeah. But what about Manchester United? Um, it's, it's not an easy group, I wouldn't say. And young boys could even be a bit of a banana skin. Um, so again, I think it throws them... You know a lot about young boys? Young boys at Wankdorf Stadium. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I heard you're an expert. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I just made that exact joke. You can't... You can't you did a flip. Yeah, I did the exact joke. You can't, you can't use my own joke against me. Like, I'm it's like... No. Uh, and this is the trouble we have with these employees. Um, but this you is t- late into the podcast. Yeah, this, this isn't getting cut. Tell me about that. Tell me about United. The par for them... They're going to have the same problem as, as Spurs, I, I reckon in that they could come second and then be handed a really tough round of 16 match Mourinho in a knockout competition though yeah it didn't work it didn't go particularly well last year though did it I'm struggling to remember their campaign last year it was a bit forgettable yeah it's been United under Mourinho though last year isn't it alright well Miguel's not here but his, <laughs> his replacement is, is doing the job it's, it's not the thing is Juve are obviously a very good team and Cristiano Ronaldo and stuff and there's going to be a lot of frothing do, around do those you think Juve fixtures. will be better this year than they have been last couple yeah just because of they've the signed the best goal scorer of a generation yeah that's why I mean it seems I know football's not always that simple and straightforward but I feel like plugging Ronaldo into a team is that simple and straightforward mm. um, I have I have my concerns about Ronaldo but I think if you put him in a team where he's not going to have to do any of the stuff he doesn't want to do and he's only doing the stuff he does want to do you're going to be fine you know like, even in 2015, when I was watching Ronaldo every week, I was still kind of, like, this guy doesn't, he does nothing, like, basically for, like, large swathes of the game, and then the ball falls to him and he scores. Yeah. Um, and I, I thought that was a bad thing for a while, and then it, you come around to thinking, it's like, the thing about football, the thing that makes football such a good sport compared to, you know, a world of sports, 
is that it's so hard to score goals and it's so easy for Ronaldo. So that is, you, all you're doing is you're short-circuiting the game by having a guy who can score all the time. He's, made, he's, made a, he's not made the best start though, is he? No, but you know, even, I mean, he took the international break off. Plus, it's so frustrating when you've got a player like uh, as good as Dybala, who's now kind of... Yeah, but yeah, they'll work that out. I've got over, like Max Allegri's a good coach. I've got I, just, I, don't know, I just don't know how they cram everyone in, even like with people like Manzuki. Because they, I just think it really skews that team. Serie A is almost a cupcake for them now. You know, they're not going to struggle to win that this year. I don't think really? it's, it could be. They could well, win it by a few points. And... Uh, I don't think. I don't think they're going to come close. Not not in the way that they've challenged year. them. Yeah. You know, the last year. Um, I also think Valencia are really good. Uh, I, I've talked about them before. The, the way that they, you know, they completely ruined that club with, with loads of Mendes influence, and then um, Anil Murphy came in and Matteo Alemani uh, came in behind the scenes and did a load of great work. They hired Marcelino, who's just a brilliant coach, um, who was so close to going to Swansea as well. Um, it would have completely changed things there. But him. they've now got Rodrigo, who was, you might remember as a former Bolton loanee, who is now just he's just just excellent he was he scored the goal against England at Wembley a couple of weeks ago they've got Jose Luis Gaia uh, they've got Gonzalo Guedes from PSG who was brilliant uh, on the wing last season uh, Carlos Soler who is uh, wanted by Man United a young midfielder Danny Parejo has always been that kind of uh, chilled out playmaker they've kind of replaced him like he's he's out and, and I just like the way their team is set up Marcelino did brilliantly at Villarreal like they were kind of the mini Atletico when Simeone's team were doing really well, Marcelino's Villarreal kind of out of nowhere were, were fourth with a tiny budget. They scored like very few goals, but they just they didn't concede. Who who if they if they're the kind of big underdogs, big team to watch, who are going to be the team that massively flops? Well, that's a good question, um, and you can read our Champions League predictions on the website uh, in the usual place, independent.co.uk/slash/football. I think the major flop. There's a group which is Ajax, Benfica, and Bayern. Yeah, PSV are in Spurs' group. Yeah, you, 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 yeah, all Dutch people look the same Got to you. Yeah, that's, um, sorry. Red Star, Belgrano, Schalke, Porto, I mean, that group's awful. Atletico Madrid, Dortmund, Monaco. Basically, what I was getting at the is the biggest team. The biggest team that's likely to go out is is Group C. If PSG or Liverpool slip up, yeah, that I think you have to say PSG or Liverpool going out would be a big problem for, for either club. It would make the Premier League title race much more interesting if Liverpool did go out early, um, and then they focus fully on the Premier League while City was still in the Champions League. You know that that could be maybe what the Premier League needs to have a proper yeah. title race. I think just because of that, it would be. I think Liverpool fans would tolerate it. I don't think it would cause kind of like mass hysteria in the in the way that it usually kind of would. I think um, the, the <laughs> I've just got a text from my. Uh, from my friend calling me lazy said is there any chance of a podcast well yes there is currently Can't recording it so uh get out my face um but anyway sorry i, I didn't mean to be horrible your refund's in the post um anyway who's like to go out Bayern munich ajax and benfica probably aren't quite ready but i think Bayern at benfica is a sneaky good game on wednesday night uh considering real madrid roma will also be good but that group is yeah another bit of a it's a bit of a one-sided group Real Madrid Roma but then Victoria Pilsen and CSK in Moscow um, any other thoughts that you really want to get out there about the Champions League before it happens so that you can look like a prescient genius down the line uh, I reckon Malcolm 
Malcolm. Malcolm can do quite well at Barca. He can do bits. Yeah, I think he could get a try. I mean, if Barca win, kind of, if they do their usual thing of like winning the early games and having a couple games at the end to play with, and he gets like a chance to start or whatever, I reckon he could do he could do quite well. Frankie De Jong of Ajax, who Johnny wrote his column about the other day. <laughs> Everyone's ridiculous. I showed excited. I showed uh, Sam Lovett, another one of our, our talented crew. I showed him that that video of De Jong getting the ball and just gassing it 70 yards up the field, like sprinting from centre-back, just dribbling the ball 70 yards and plays like the perfect through ball for the winger cutting inside. And good, good uh, luck doing that in the Champions League. Yeah, he's now officially <laughs> in love. Yes, yeah, so the Eredivisie, slightly different proposition, but um, I was talking to someone at Barca and he was saying that basically he's, Frankie de Jong is the only player that everyone concerned agrees that Barca should sign in terms of like sporting director because you know they've got a very complicated they met, structure they met him this week, didn't they? yeah well like h- him and Delight the guys they wanted for a while but um, who have you got there you got Pep Segura you got uh, uh, who else is there Robert, Robert Fernandez still around no I think Robert Fernandez has gone Pep Segura all the other guys the, the junta they call it the, the board um, Valverde everyone everyone thinks they should sign this Frankie de Jong guy but they had the chance like 18 months ago and didn't do it and then now it's going to be absurdly expensive mm. And I actually looked at him and I thought, if he played for City, then it would just be like like another weapon. But you've got a weapon at centre-back. It would be quite something. Uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing him. <laughs> if you want to find out... Him and Stones in the back. Yeah, oh, yeah it'd be fun. If you want to find out who the other guys are looking forward to seeing, um, I talked about teams that might emerge this year, players that might emerge, what one change would you make to the Champions League, all that sort of thing, then that's on the website, independent.co.uk slash football. As ever, if you're not following us on Twitter or on Facebook, all those sorts of things, on Instagram as well, Independent Sport, then make sure you're doing that. And of course, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, rating and reviewing it. And also just like, if uh, you don't tell your friends, then are you really their friend? Um, but until next week, I have been Ed Malian. This has been Luke Brown. Bye. In Milan, it was Johnny and Jack. And in Liverpool, it's Miguel. And we will see you next Monday for the latest podcast. <laughs> 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.